Welcome back to Jay's Top Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That's Vanilla Ice, Ross Stripling's go-to karaoke song, as he told our pal Emily Agard during spring training. He could do the whole thing, apparently. Not going to make him do it on air. He's going to join us in a couple minutes here. Uh, Before he comes on, refresh those lineups for you for tonight. Kevin Gosman on the hill. He'll be backed by George Springer at DH, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Teoscar Hernandez, Bo Bichette, Matt Chapman, Rymal Tapia in center field, Santiago Espinal at second base, Danny Jansen hitting ninth and catching Gosman. Biggio still out of the rotation mix a little bit here. Merrifield gets a down day. Jackie Bradley Jr. not starting for the first time in five games. And then Alejandro Kirk getting his first day off in quite a while. He's been playing a lot. The Red Sox are going to counter with Cutter Crawford. 514 ERA. But again, our pal Eno Saris, who has his stuff plus metric, that does a pretty good job predicting future pitcher performance, sees Cutter Crawford as one of the more improved guys. Now, maybe that says a lot about how poor he was last year, but some of the other component metrics also see him as being a little better than a five ERA guy. High rising fastball comes in around 95. He's got that cutter. Obviously, his name's Cutter. You couldn't not have that in your repertoire. Uh, he locates that one a little more consistently. Both of those, both the rising fastball and the cut fastball uh, have a strikeout rate in the mid-20s, which is pretty good for fastballs. Uh, and then he'll go curveball, change-up, slider, depending on the handedness of the batter. Rymel Tapia, the only lefty in the lineup for the Jays. Kevin Gosman's facing a Red Sox team that he's faced four times this year and has allowed four earned runs over 26 innings with a 37 to two strikeout to walk ratio. So good luck. Tommy Pham, Raphael Devers, JD Martinez, Xander Bogarts, Christian Arroyo, Rob Ref Snyder, Reese McGuire, Bobby Dahlbeck, and Jaron Duran. That's the Red Sox lineup for tonight. Of course, they get a couple names back there. Bogarts, Arroyo, Pham had all been banged up. Uh, so those guys draw back in for them. A modicum of good news in a bad news world for the Red Sox. Their bullpen's not in bad shape. They they did use their three most trusted guys yesterday in that 10-inning game and Garrett Whitlock, John Schreiber, and Matt Barnes. Ryan Brazier's probably not available after pitching each of the last two days. Everyone else, probably good to go. Uh, and even Schreiber and Barnes could probably go again. I don't know if they'll throw Whitlock again coming off a 24 pitch outing the Jays bullpen in maybe the best shape it's been all year with seven consecutive solid starts from their starters. Jimmy Garcia, probably not available today after throwing 26 pitches last night. Uh, Jordan Romano, Tim Meza, Anthony Bass and Adam Simber all got in the game, um, but haven't been used a ton over the last couple of days because the rotation has been so solid. Speaking of, of the Toronto Blue Jays rotation being so solid. One fifth of that is Ross Stripling who joins us now. Ross, how are you? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, didn't the timing didn't work out, but I played you in with, with ice ice baby. Uh, man, I I'm in, I'm impressed to hear that, you know, all the words when like everyone knows the first verse, I think, but you going every verse deep in like a four and a half minute song is very impressive. Yeah, that's, um, that was thrusted upon me when I was a rookie with the Dodgers. They did what's called Dodger Idol, and they made all the rookies 
sing a song in spring training, um, and that's the one I went with, learned the dance and everything, and, <laughs> and it's just cemented in my brain now, even 10 years later. <laughs> uh, well, it's great, Ross. Um, so I wanted to revisit not your last outing, but the outing before. Your first time back off the IL, you go six perfect innings, and you kind of joked afterward about, you know, giving the okay to come out because you kind of mentally shut down. Um, did you did you second guess yourself at all after? Like, did you think back on it and be like, ah, I could have could have maybe gone a little longer? Um, what what was that process like for you after the fact? Yeah, for sure. You know, I I think it was a learning experience. Now, even in my seventh year in the big leagues, just to, you know, don't turn it off until you physically hand the ball over to the manager. You know, my every experience as a Blue Jay had been when the manager leaves the dugout and is walking towards me on the mound, I've always gotten pulled. So the second I saw Schneider walking towards me, uh, that's what I assumed because that's the only uh, only thing I knew. So then when Schneider looked at me and said, hey, do you want this guy? I had to be honest. And I had to say, um, you know what, I've, Schneider, I've, I've shut it down. I know Yimmy's hot. This is Mount Castle, their best hitter, facing me for a third time. In a zero-zero game, uh, you know, it's time to make the change. But, you know, what you learn from it is, is don't shut it off like that. Because, you know, it's my game. I had pitches left in the tank, and I should be the one to finish it. Um, you know, that's just not how that one played out. But now now I know moving forward not to uh, not to do that, for sure. Plus, next time you've got to stick it to Zach Granke, right? <laughs> yeah, you saw that quote. I did yeah. see that quote. For anyone who missed it, uh, yeah. I guess Granky texted you and said the Jays are using you well. They're not letting you go a third time through. Yeah, this was in person when oh, we were okay. in the city much earlier in the season. I knew Zach from our time in Los Angeles. And, uh, yeah, that's essentially exactly what he said. He's like, you know, it, it, obviously that's a much shorter version, but basically saying <laughs> baseball is heading in that direction and that I'm perfectly suited for, for what – for, for what I do and that I should only go two times through the lineup, which is pure Zach Drinky straight shooter <laughs> through and through. Yeah, uh, absolutely. He seems like a fascinating guy. Um, it is a bit of a question, though, because your season's been so successful, and we look at your last couple starts, and, and you're getting into the six without, you know, you're not up around 90, 95, 100 pitches. Um, do you get the sense that you've maybe – earned or, or they're going to give you a shot to go an extra time through the order a little bit more often down the stretch here? Yeah, I'd like to think so. You know, it, it, especially if, if everything's looking good, if I'm throwing the ball well, if I'm staying efficient. Um, you know, I don't think there's any reason to think that I can't get a third time through the lineup and maybe even venture a fourth time through the lineup if, if it works out that way. So, you know, I'd like to think that I've earned that opportunity, but we got a really good bullpen and all these games are must win. So, you know, if a matchup dictates something else you're not going to see me fight it for sure but you know if i'm rolling i want to stay out there and, and finish my outing so hopefully get some chances to do that here uh, moving forward and i'd imagine that having five different pitches that you can throw and locate in a couple different quadrants um you know that to me says maybe you could avoid some of the pitfalls that some pitchers run into third time through because you can mix it up so much uh, i wanted to ask you about your changeup. That's been such an effective pitch for you this year. Um, what has gone into developing such a strong changeup and, you know, just kind of figuring that pitch out over the years? Yeah, you know, it was, uh, it stems from my curveball not being as good last year. So really having to find another pitch to, to use and up the usage of, and that turned into my changeup, which I started having success with last year. So when that season finished, I talked to like Pete Walker, Matt Bushman, even the uh, kind of the analytical team with my agency. 
And they all kind of had the same opinion, which was up it even more. Up the usage of that changeup even more. It was a good pitch. Use it more to righties. Use it more mid-count. Use it more to put guys away. Just up it all together. So that was kind of my whole offseason was really um, focusing on that pitch. When I started throwing bullpens, I had guys standing on the right side throwing that changeup to right-handed hitters. When I started throwing live BPs, really focused on throwing that changeup all the time. And, uh, you know, I think I've, you've seen that carry over into this year. I think I could use it even more than I'm using it. But, um, you know, right now it's, it's, it's been a, a real weapon that I can use, um, you know, against righties and lefties in the middle account with two strikes uh, pretty much any time. You know, it's kind of been my equalizer this year. When it comes to throwing that change up to righties, that's, you know, normally that's something we don't see. They say the change up isn't, isn't a good pitch for same-handed batters. Um, how much does that kind of pair with your sinker, which you've thrown more this year too? And how do those two pitches kind of interact for you? Yeah, it's been a good combo for me. You know, the, at its basically the most basic level is righties for a long time could almost eliminate the inside part of the plate to me. I, I just didn't do a lot of work inside the right-handed hitters. I, I would maybe do a, like, show-me four-seam up and in to try and get them off my breaking balls and my outside fastballs. And, um, you know, you just kind of started to see right-handed hitters really leaning out over and, and even doing damage on, like, good pitches on the outside part of the plate. So that's you know, basically had to make an adjustment and had to start throwing something inside part of the plate and, you know, make them kind of be honest up there and, and respect both sides. And the changeup was that, and then the two-seam kind of pairs off that where it's you know, starts kind of in the middle of the plate, looks like a strike fastball, and then it just kind of gets in off their barrel. And, and the more they see it, the more they have to understand that, oh, you know, stripling does work to both sides of the plate. You can't just look out over. And I think that's why you've seen the – kind of the sinker changeup combo have some success this year as righties are still kind of trying to, you know, figure out how much I use it and seeing it for the first time. When it comes to the mechanics of your changeup, it was pointed out on, on Twitter recently by Codify Baseball, one of the analytics um, Twitter accounts that, that you have the highest vertical release point on your changeup. And I, I did some digging. And if you kind of sort by who has the highest release point, not to get too data about it, but, um, you know, it basically gives you a list of some of the best changeups in baseball. Was that a conscious thing you did when you were building that pitch to, to try to have the highest release on it you could? No, that is no. just my natural arm slot, man. Huh. I, I uh, was gifted with a weird ability to uh, go up high with my upward rotation of my shoulder. And uh, I don't stride very long, you know, so I, my arm slot is very high. And I think it might even be the highest in baseball. So that's just uh, kind of my natural goofy self and, <laughs> and where the ball comes out, you know, specific to all my pitches, not just to my changeups. Yeah, it's a, I, I found it interesting. And it's something obviously I got to dive a little deeper on the why the, the release point is so tight with the changeup leaders uh, in terms of that pitch's effectiveness. When you think of it, though, do, do you have a sense of why that might be? Is it, is it a deception thing? Does, does that kind of release point give it more, like, not more movement, but it almost appears like more movement because it's coming out of a, a unique spot? Yeah, exactly. I think okay. it gives it more, more depth in a way, right, where if I'm releasing it from seven feet high and it still has to get down to, you know, a foot off the ground or maybe even bounce behind the plate, it's got to move seven feet downwards right i mean that's just math versus if you release it at six feet it's only moving six feet downwards right so i think it does give it more depth and i think you know it's just the uniqueness of my arm angle 
Sometimes you see some lefties or the whole like Tampa Ray, Tampa Bay Rays bullpen all throw some weird arm angles. <laughs> it's just something that hit, hitters don't see very often. So it's just kind of a natural uh, deception to it. I look at, you know, a Blue Jays fan favorite for a while, a couple years back, was Marco Estrada, who also kind of thrived with a heavy change-up usage. Um, do you see uh, – you guys don't have uh, necessarily a ton of similarity beyond the, the change-up usage, um, but he's a guy who, as he – got more experience and as he got into his more veteran years, uh, relied on that pitch more and more to be his weapon. Do you see any similarities with the Marco Estrada or is there a, a, a guy whose changeup you've looked at and have been kind of like, okay, I can, I can be that kind of guy or I can add that wrinkle to my game. So Pete Walker has always kind of uh, talked about Estrada. <laughs> I've never really done my due diligence to go watch Estrada. Uh, video or anything like that um, you know I kind of think I'm unique in my in my own way and, and kind of going to navigate my own path here but you know always looking for help and stuff and where Pete would talk about it, it's just how he used it right like he would use it to start counts in the middle counts and to put guys away uh, you know really couldn't throw that change up enough it was that much of a weapon uh, you know a guy in the rotation with me is a Kevin Gosman it's a splitter and it's a much nastier pitch than my changeup. but as far as usage um you know, he, he uses it any time. It's like if you get a base runner on Gosman, the next guy's getting splitters because <laughs> that base runner's not going to score. And it's, you know, a unicorn pitch, almost an unhittable pitch in a way. But if I have confidence in my changeup like he has in his splitter, uh, you know, I should be able to throw that thing any time. And, and, you know, so picking his brain about kind of when he uses it and what he's thinking, you know, has helped for sure. But, you know, for the most part, I'm just kind of – trying to up the usage on the changeup and use it in any time and just kind of get more confidence almost every time I tow the rubber with it. So you, you talk to Pete Walker a lot. You talk to Kevin Gosman a lot. I, I'm curious as to your role talking to some of the younger guys. And I think in particular about someone like Mitch White, who obviously there are a lot of surface level comparisons, um, but I spoke to Michael Duarte out in LA shortly after that trade. And he said he had spoken to you about it. Um, do you look at Mitch White and, you know, see an opportunity there for you to impart some of what you've figured out as you worked with your pitch mix that he could maybe, whether it's even if it's not the same pitches, but just kind of that philosophy of how to use five pitches effectively, is that something you can you can pass on a little bit? Yeah, of course. You know, as far as even the role, I mean, Mitch has only been a starter since he's been over here, but let's say he does a little bit of the back and forth thing. You know, I'm definitely here to help with that. That's something that I've, I've done uh, more than enough of, for sure, in my big league career, so I can help with that both on, on the mental and physical side and how tough that is to transition roles. And then, yeah, as far as, um, you know, his arsenal and how to deploy it, I, I definitely love to help. And, and you know, I'm not going to really go out of my way to, to try and change anything. But if he has a question, I'm here to answer, no doubt. I mean, we watch each other's bullpens. We watch each other warm up. We're really close as a staff. And, you know, Mitch has a power fastball and two really good breaking balls. And it's probably a, a good changeup away from having, you know, a truly elite arsenal. So I, if I can help him kind of start to do that um you know that'd be a huge help because he's going to be a blue jay for the next four years at least and um you know a guy we're going to count on to throw a lot of innings here in his future so it's, you know if he can keep getting better that's that's better for the whole blue jays organization so let's let's do that for sure <laughs> um so another kind of transfer across starters that that i'm curious about it and maybe it's not as 
easy because these guys are both veterans as well, and it's unique to each pitcher. But last year, there was, I think it was a start against Boston where you came out after that start and you'd made some mechanical changes that were noticeable, even kind of at, at a first glance. Your hands were in a different spot. We've seen. You say Kikuchi tweak with his mechanics this year. We've seen uh, Jose Brios the last couple times out. He's placing his glove and his hands a little differently. What is the mental toll like of trying to make those mechanical adjustments on the fly versus, you know, attacking it in an off season where you have all the time in the world? Yeah, it's incredibly stressful. It, it really is. You know, I, I really can't stress that enough. I mean, it, 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 this is the big leagues. This is the hardest level in the world of major league baseball and if you're out there thinking about your mechanics instead of Aaron Judge in the box and, and trying to be aggressive and having conviction with your pitches and I'm thinking about where my hands are I'm at such a disadvantage there I mean you're just way behind the eight ball so if you're out there thinking about mechanics it's all it's a really really tough place to be uh, you know really just being on the mound without confidence is is such a, a, a tough place to be so when I did it my back was against the wall, man. I had just gotten pulled in the first inning against the Red Sox at a 70 RA in May. I was really struggling. We had to make a change, and that's what Pete Walker suggested, and I did it and ran with it, and I'm still doing it, and it helped instantly. Sometimes it, it takes a few tries. Sometimes whatever you try doesn't work at all, and I'm you know, really happy to see Barrios' two starts have gone well. But changing your hands or really anything mechanically in the middle of the season is a massive, massive change. So when you see a guy do it and have success, uh, you've got to kind of tip your cap to him because it is not an easy thing to do. It does not seem easy from afar. It seems like a, a pretty stressful thing. Um, as someone who can't throw any pitches, it seems uh, impossible. <laughs> um, Ross, I got to ask you, I, I know that you guys are focused on a playoff race here, but I also know that you're, you know, the team's union rep. You're a very financially savvy guy uh, and you're a free agent this offseason. Have you been able to kind of, block that out from your mind for the most part? Is it, is it something you you give much energy to at this stage? Uh, man, you know, it, it definitely creeps in your mind for sure. Uh, I mean, I love being a Blue Jay. I can see myself being here, no doubt. I mean, everything about it is great. The city of Toronto is amazing. Our staff, our players are great. Obviously, we're in the middle of what could be a pretty great window for the Toronto Blue Jays as far as winning baseball games. But, um, you know, when you're in a playoff race, you're kind of hyper-focused on that. So that's that's, I'm glad for that because it kind of takes my energy and my focus to that. So just winning every fifth day. We're in a must-win situation basically every time we take the field. Um, you know, so that's enough pressure by itself. So I'll, I'll, I'll deal with that and then uh, maybe tackle the free agency stuff in the offseason. All right. Uh, quick one before I let you go. I know you're starting Sunday, so Saturday's probably a, a pretty heavily focused day for you. But it's Alec Manoa against Shohei Otani on Saturday. As someone who loves the game and, you know, thinks pitching at a high level, how excited are you to get a, to get a front row seat to that one? Yeah, that's pretty, man, that's pretty me. I actually didn't even know that until right now. So you got me excited already. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's uh, two elite arms as well as one very elite bat getting after it. Anytime you can watch Shohei in person, uh, you know, you're pretty lucky. That guy's doing, you know, basically making history every day in the Manoa. As competitive as anyone out there, he's going to want to strike uh, Otani out every time. So that's, <laughs> that's going to be a heck of a matchup to watch. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Ross Stripling, we'll see you on the Hill on Sunday. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time out, man, and best of luck with the rest of the playoff push. All right. Thanks, man. Take care. That was Ross Stripling, starter for the Toronto Blue Jays.